It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Henry David Thoreau once said, Make the most of your regrets. Never smother your sorrow. To regret deeply is to live afresh. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format, and we are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Jonathan, what is happening? Hey, Rick, you're not in the studio. That's my question. What's happening with you? <laughs> Actually, I'm having a great time here. I'm out in Detroit uh, at a Bible conference. I'm at the home of uh, uh, a couple of uh, friends of ours, and we are just ready to roll. So what's our subject this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, Will my regrets ever leave me alone? And this is a part two program. And our theme text is found in Acts chapter 22, verse 19. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And we're talking about regret. And Jonathan, regret can be, and I want to stress the word can, can be a killer. We often carry around and dwell on regrets from some of our past experiences. Not only do we dwell on them, we sometimes build those regrets into shrines of discontent and sorrow that overrun our present and then take hold of and manipulate our future. That's sad. (laughs) That's pretty nasty. It really is. And it's it's a common occurrence. On the other hand, if we know the secrets of managing regret, it be- can become a tool of peaceful acceptance for our present and a deep personal motivation for our future. So how do you change from one result to the other? A couple of weeks ago, we began unveiling the really powerful biblical lessons on managing regret. And today, Jonathan, today we get to finish that unveiling. So it is... Will my regrets ever leave me alone? Part two, folks. You, I don't know what you're doing for the next two hours, but change your plans. Stay by your radio or your computer or your iPad or your your cell phone or whatever it is, because this is a really important life lesson. And Rick, everyone has regrets, so this this is going to touch everybody if you truly and, understand it. Right, and and that that is the point. Is that this is one of those types of programs that applies just to everybody in all their circumstances of their lives. So let's get started, Jonathan. Last time we we discussed the subject, we went to some sound bites from a TED Talk uh, called Don't Regret Regret from Katherine Schultz. And um, she laid out, she she was doing a marvelous job about laying out what regret is and some of her experience with regret and how to put it in perspective. So I want to go back to the sound bite we used two weeks ago where she described uh, what regret? Would she define what regret is? So let, let's go go there right now. 
Are we having trouble with that soundbite? Yeah, we are. All right, all right, we'll come back to that in a minute then, all right? Uh, let's come back to that in a minute. Right now, at this point, here's the thing, and there's going to be a little bit of review here right at the, at the beginning. A key realization and premise that we need to focus on is that we need regret. Regret is a vitally important part of our lives, and we should not try to get rid of it. Having said that, we need to clarify, because regret, while it's necessary, should not be a destination. And that's what it is for most of us. You're it's right. It's like where we go, and then we park, and then we lose the keys. And <laughs> so we end up staying there, okay? Yeah, it shouldn't be a destination. It should be a tool of motivation. That's what we want regret to do. All right, let's go back then to that soundbite from Katherine Schultz defining regret. Regret is the emotion we experience when we think that our present situation could be better or happier if we had done something different in the past. So in other words, regret requires two things. It requires, first of all, agency. We had to make a decision in the first place. And second of all, it requires imagination. We need to be able to imagine going back and making a different choice, able to kind of spool this imaginary record forward and imagine how things would be playing out in our present. And in fact, the more we have of either of these things, the more agency and the more imagination with respect to a given regret, the more acute that regret will be. You know, I, I really like the way she defined that and says, you know, regret requires imagination. Uh, and it does, because it, it requires the ability to go back and say, if I would have done this or that, then things would be different, which is good. But it can also be the worst thing ever. Because when the imagination works overtime, then we can really create scenarios that make it even worse than it has to be. So it's one of those parts of life that we have to, you know, bottom line, Jonathan, sin stinks. <laughs> it certainly does, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> because being sinful makes us do things that we end up regretting. And now we make choices and, and all of that, but, you know, it's because that we are sinful that we have to deal with such things. So to deal with that, to put regret in its proper perspective, we turn to the Bible, and we turn specifically to the Apostle Paul, who had a ton to be regretful of and, from his and previous it was, life. Yeah, being Saul at that time. Yeah. Right, and it was awful. And at last program, you've got to, we, we're not going to go through all of the things that he did, but he really was very dark and evil in the things that he did. Even though he had a wonderful heart for God, he was completely off track and much to regret. His conversion and his recounting of his conversion teaches us how to put our regret in perspective the way he did because Jesus taught him. It's so neat so, to have that formula before us. And it really is a very distinct and clear formula if, if we allow ourselves to look at it. So, there's a, a, there are five principles, and again, a couple of them we talked about last time. What's the first principle, Jonathan? It is refocus regret principle one is accept, accept and embrace the pain of whatever it is you regret. Okay, and uh, Acts 26, uh, beginning at verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? All right, so... This is, he's recounting his conversion to King Agrippa, and he's saying, here's the simple truth that he had to accept. And this is the first part, like you said, accept. Accept and embrace the pain of whatever it is that you regret. The simple truth that Paul had to accept is that he, as Saul of Tarsus, was persecuting 
his own long-awaited Messiah. Now, let's, let's just talk about that for a second, because through all of Jewish history up to that time, and for some Jews after that time, what's the one thing that they were all looking forward to and the one thing they were all waiting for? Messiah. So he finally comes, and the Apostle Paul, who is a dedicated, dedicated Jew, ends up persecuting him and his followers. How did the Apostle Paul fully accept the pain of those actions? One of the things he did, which is really important, is he admitted those actions to everybody. That's not easy. No. Look how... I, look at all my mistakes. Look how bad I am. He he's doing that. Yeah, and so and he admits those mistakes to the Christian community after he becomes a Christian himself, and he writes it out in his writings to them. He admits those mistakes to the Jewish community in great detail, and he admits those mistakes to Gentiles. He basically says to all three groups of people around him, "This is how I messed life up. This is what I did wrong." And he, when he describes it, it's, it's far worse in his personal description than when in Acts chapter 9 describes the account, than that, that description. So he takes it upon himself to fill in the gory details of just how bad he was. So that, that was an important part of his ability to um, accept and embrace the pain of his own regret. So part of our acceptance of the pain of our actions is to be accountable as well. Now, are we suggesting that you tell everybody, should you go on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram? No. Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) But what you should do with your regret, what I should do with my regret, is tell individuals whom you trust and confide in them and say, look, this is what I've done and accept that pain of that of that experience so that's the first step and that's like you said it's a hard step right it is oh very hard okay what's the second principle it's assume assume responsibility for your wrong through uh wrong thoughts or actions okay and let's go to acts 26 uh verse 14 for that again And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And remember, a couple of weeks ago, we spent some time talking about what does that phrase mean. And to kick against the goad is rebelling against the direction that you know you should go. So in his heart, he was contradicting what he was really feeling. Right. He was contradicting what he Deep down knew was right, mm-hmm. but he was doing something else. He was doing what he felt rather than what he knew. Gotcha. And that gets us into regret oh, all the time. It does. <laughs> all the time. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about regret. If you have experiences you'd like to relay or questions about regret or just simply comments or observations, you can reach us at 866-985-4255, toll-free. 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget, you can message us on your app. And if you don't have your app uh, for your smartphone, you should. It's free. Go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio. Okay, so Paul, or as Saul 
Tarsus was, in his personal testimony, t- telling us just how much he was going against what he absolutely knew to be right according to the Jewish law. So, so John, let's kind of uh, sum up a couple of things we've talked about so far. To accept and embrace the pain of our regretful actions, step one. That's step one, right? Is the foundation for healthy regret. To stop the process here would be a disaster for we all here have um, thus far, all we have here is thus far pain. That has no hope of subsiding, fully and unequivocally assuming responsibility. That's step two. Create even more reason for regret to swallow us, yet we cannot refocus our regret unless we do this. And that's such an important thing. You've got to assume full responsibility. Go ahead. So how do we positively assume the responsibility of our own regretful actions? Okay, not like this. Assume responsibility fully, honestly, and with courage, knowing that God's grace and strength will not leave us here to wilt under the intense heat of honesty and truth. So in other words, don't stop here. Don't stop with accepting and embracing the pain because then we wallow in the pain. And we're just going to get pain. Right. Over and, and over again. <laughs> right. And don't stop with assuming the responsibility because now you have to do these things. Yes. But you get to this point and then you assume the responsibility and you've accepted the pain, but now all you own is pain and responsibility. What are you supposed to do with that? That's the key. So much of the reasoning I regret that we, we've heard suggests that things we regret in our past were results of falling short while we were doing the best we could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of times, Jonathan, that's simply not true. Oftentimes we regret because we chose to do things that were wrong. Not because I did the best I could and it didn't work out, but I chose things that were a little shady and I knew were wrong, but I did them anyway. We have to accept the pain of that. We have to assume the responsibility of that. And we have to, we have to put ourselves in a position of making sure we know where to go from here. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Coming up, we all know that forgiveness helps us with regret. But how do we learn to live with what we know? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. When the world You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 2. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or uh, you can message us on your app. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. It's a transcript of the program, and you can listen to the archive later and read along as we do the program, as you're listening, and it really helps put everything together. And, and Jonathan, just a quick note on that. Uh, I'm at this Bible conference here in Detroit. I'm staying with friends of ours, Norm and Gloria, and... um, 
gotten several comments from those attending the, the conference here about Rewind and, and the kind of tool that it is and how it, it, it puts things together and really sums up the kinds of things that we talked about. So the feedback on that is really, really good, folks. And we want you to try it out. If you don't like it, you can opt out with a click of a button. Nobody's going to bother you. Uh, but it's a free service. Again, it's available through your app or at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so Jonathan, the first two principles of regret are really important. You've got to accept the pain and assume responsibility, but you can't stop there. What's the third regret refocusing principle? It's apply. Apply faith and then apply trust that we are all forgiven and therefore in a position for spiritual growing and not emotional groaning. That's right. You know, sometimes we confuse those two. Sometimes emotional groaning, we figure we figure we got to go through that to get the spiritual growing. But you don't want to be there in terms of regret. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but this principle we talked about very, very, very briefly a couple of weeks ago. So we want to take a lot of time this morning because, Jonathan, I think this is the most important, this is the transition principle. If you get working on this, you have a chance to make regret a tool of motivation. Okay. If you don't work on this, it won't be. And that's a promise. Just That's just the way human nature is. This is where many of us lose the battle to regret and end up wallowing in the mire of self-pity and guilt. Uh, let's go back to Catherine Schultz, the TED Talk, Don't Regret Regret, because she's going to talk about several steps uh, that she has observed in terms of putting regret in order. So how are we supposed to live with this? I want to suggest that there's three things that help us to make our peace with regret. Um, and, and the first of these is to take some comfort in its universality. If you Google regret and tattoo, you will get 11.5 million hits. The FDA estimates that of all the Americans who have tattoos, 17% of us regret getting them. That is Johnny Depp and me and our 7 million friends. And that's just regret about tattoos. We are all in this together. The second way that we can help make our peace with regret is to laugh at ourselves. Uh, now, in my case, this really wasn't a problem because it's actually very easy to laugh at yourself when you're 29 years old and you want your mommy because you don't like your new tattoo. But it might seem like a kind of cool or glib suggestion when it comes to these more profound regrets. I don't think that's the case, though. All of us who've experienced regret that contains real pain and real grief understand that humor, and even black humor, plays a crucial role in helping us survive. It connects the poles of our lives back together, the positive and the negative, and it sends a little current of life back into us. So, Jonathan, you know, in, in, when you talk, talk about laughing about regrets, especially if they're hard things that that kind of it, it doesn't feel right you're right it doesn't but what the point i think that's important here is to learn and, and we're going to go through the principles of how to do this but learn how to get out of the emotion of the regret and to be able to look at it from the outside in and that's what this particular principle about applying faith and then trust that we are forgiven helps us to do so you may not say, okay, I'm going to go try to laugh about it, but what we need to say is I need to see my regret from the outside looking in. How do I do that? 
Well, the Apostle Paul and Jesus team up, and they teach us exactly how to do that in this principle. How did Paul avoid the deadly choice of wallowing in the self-pity mire of regret? Well, let's go back to Acts 26, verses 15 to 17, and this is where the Apostle is describing to King Agrippa his experience. And he's going into tremendous detail of what Jesus said to him, and when he reveals what Jesus said to him, he's actually revealing the process for putting regret in place. So Jesus gives us the process, and Paul uh, brings that process to us. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So, and, and again, we did touch on this two weeks ago, but we're going to take some time here now. The really amazing thing about regret and this account of, of, of Paul's past is that Jesus teaches him step by step how to manage his regret. Jesus is doing this because he needs Paul. He needs him to be an integral link in the gospel plan, and, he, and Paul needed to be able to thoroughly focus on the present challenges that he would daily face. Paul needed his regrets to be tools to use and not wait, not wait to tow. So Jesus is putting Paul on the accelerated regret rehabilitation program. Well, we all need to learn about that, don't we? We do. <laughs> and the more accelerated our regret rehabilitation is, the better off we become in the long run. Now, so, if anyone has a thought... Um especially an experience in regret, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. All right. Uh, so how do we get there? Let's take the scripture that you just read, Jonathan. Let's take it piece by piece because there's four points in this set of scripture that helps us to understand how to apply faith and then to apply trust that we are forgiven. That's the process we're focusing on now in terms of putting regret in its proper place, in, in making regret godly instead of dark. That's really what this is about. So the first point, the first of the necessary steps uh, uh, to faith, trust, and forgiveness in the face of regret is what? Know who it is that is dealing with you. And in the scripture, what did it say? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Know who it is that is dealing with you. Saul's experience of perpetrating evil came to this. He had been persecuting his own Messiah, his own Savior, and now he knew it. How did he know it? Because his own Messiah told him so. Imagine being, the, being in those shoes, standing there and saying, What have I done? Oops. That has got to be one of the greatest oopses of all time. I don't know if oopses is a word. I don't know either. <laughs> but I just, I just crowned it as such. <laughs> Our sinful actions and the resulting regret are in their appropriate place when they're placed before Jesus, our Savior. And Jonathan, let's pause on this just for a few minutes, because this is so important. Know who it is who is dealing with you. Most of us, I, I know, let me, let me rephrase that, none of us, are going to have a vision from Jesus 
in heaven and a bright light on a road like this, right? No, we're not. And if we have that vision, something's not right. It has to be a dream. (laughs) Okay. So if we're not going to have that, what do we have? We have the written words of Jesus in the Holy Scriptures. We have his words, his actions, and his example that speak to us. That's right. And those, those things show us the way to know who it is that we are dealing with. We are dealing with the Son of God, the immortal divine being who is at the right hand of the throne of God, right here, right now, who wants our lives to be uh, in accordance with what he and the Father have called us to. That's who you're dealing with. Go to Scripture and see that picture and realize that that's what this communication is. It doesn't get any bigger than that, Rick. Right, right. It's with the highest, biggest, best heavenly powers that there possibly could be. That's who you're dealing with. So that's the important part of, 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 of get putting faith in its right place. You're focusing it by saying, okay, this is who I'm dealing with. So what's the next step? Faith always requires action, Rick. Okay, and in the verses that you read before, what's the phrase that tells us that? But get up and stand on your feet. Okay, this, Jonathan, is a simple thing because the, 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 the bright light and the vision knocked everybody over. And you could look at it like Jesus saying, okay, get up. But Jesus is saying, okay, get up. See, that's what I think he's saying. Put them to action. Right. Faith is not just a thrill for the heart or an exercise for the intellect. It is a transformative conviction. Get up, stand on your feet. Once we have accepted and embraced the pain of the cause for our regret, and once we have assumed full responsibility for it, faith then requires you. It doesn't ask you. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, faith requires you to stand up. Because that's, by definition, that's what faith is. Faith means action. Stand in faith, to stand in faith is to accept and stand upon the gift of forgiveness. And Jonathan, we could do an entire program on that phrase. We could. Because forgiveness, folks, understand to be truly forgiven is to have your sins put away from you by God himself through Christ. And not to hold you back from serving the Lord. And you can't have God take your sins away if you hand them to him, but then when he goes to take them, you don't let go. Mm-hmm. Okay? There's you a know, picture. Like, <laughs> right. Tug of war. Some, right. Tell you to somebody, but you, you're not, and you just pull him back. And, no, 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 no. Faith requires the action. And to stand up is to acknowledge who you are dealing with, and stand up gives you a sense of being willing to follow who it is that you are dealing with. Now, let's look at another example of stand up, okay? To stand up is to act. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, was not the only one who was pressed into service by a command to stand. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who is called also Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, 
three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Okay. So Peter, in this, and we're very familiar with this, with this, uh, this incident. He is praying uh, on the roof of the house of Simon the Tanner, and he is praying for God's direction and God overruling his life. And he has this incredible vision with the unclean animals and the sheets. Yes, coming down. Yeah. And what does God tell him to do in this? In this? In this vision? Kill and eat. And yeah, it's like, he's what? Like, These are unclean animals. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, now, now let's look at the similarity, because Paul and Peter were both Jews by birth. They both really, truly followed the law. Peter was a little different than Paul, Saul of Tarsus, in that he was really on top of staying with the law. Saul of Tarsus had taken the law and used it as a tool to do things he wanted to do. Right. Okay. So here, the Apostle Peter is being told to eat unclean animals, and the proclamation is, what I have made clean is clean. And so the instruction now is, get up, go downstairs, and accompany these individuals who have come to you, because I'm about to show you what this vision has just meant. Take action. Right. Stand up. So the first two points in in dealing with the apply principle, and again, John, to go back up to the top of the page and reread this refocus regret principle number three. Apply faith and then apply trust that we are forgiven and therefore in a position for spiritual growing and not emotional groaning. So how do you apply faith and apply trust? Faith has to be applied first and then trust can follow. You can't truly trust something you don't have faith in. And, by the same token, faith does not bring you all the way because trust is the heartfelt application. So you have to know who you're dealing with, and the, you're, like you said, you're dealing, you get, can't get bigger or better than that. We're dealing with God through Christ, and we have to be able to and be willing to take action. Mastering this piece of regret management puzzle affirms a new direction, and having that new direction affirms the ability make our lives different and make regret now work for us. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 2. Coming up. So faith makes us stand up. Now what? How can we be redirected? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 2. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL, or you can message us on your app. Now, if you'd like to write to us, you can write to us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. And Jonathan, uh, during the break, we got a a message in from the app. Uh, Somebody, um, David, asked, uh, he says, I love the Bible verse, 
version that Jonathan reads from, if you don't mind saying, what translation is it? And it is New American Standard. And uh, Jonathan has told me many times he likes to read from that translation, so that's the one that we use. And it is relatively accurate, mm-hmm. so you know we, we try to stay with accuracy as much as, as, as fluidity as possible. So there's the answer for that. And folks, if you do have a message, some, a comment, and you, you don't want to call in, you can certainly message us uh, on your app, and we'll see if we can get that comment on the air. So, Jonathan, we were talking about there's actually four points that we were talking about in relation to faith and trust and forgiveness in the face of regret. What were the first two? The first one, Rick, was know who it is that you're dealing with. And the second is faith always requires action. All right, stand up. So before we get to the third point on on dealing with faith and trust and forgiveness and action, let's go back to Catherine Schultz's Don't Regret Regret TED Talk. She talked about, you know, um, making peace with, with your regret. Now she's going to be talking about a, a second step for that. The second way that we can help make our peace with regret is to laugh at ourselves. Uh, now, in my case, this really wasn't a problem because it's actually very easy to laugh at yourself when you're 29 years old and you want your mommy because you don't like your new tattoo. The next one, like right, a Rick? Kind of cool yeah, no, actually, we played this before. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. The third way that I think we can help make our peace no, no, not, with don't regret do the third is through the passage of time. Okay, hold on, Fred. Thanks. Uh, all right. Um, so we doubled that up. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. We'll 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 uh, we we missed the one before. I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. So let's go to faith requires humility so that we can be redirected. That's the third piece. A, B, and C. The third piece of putting faith, trust, and forgiveness actually in play. Applying faith, trust, and forgiveness again. Faith requires humility so that we can be redirected. And Jesus said, For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Okay, so forgiveness and grace overflow with this proclamation from Jesus to Saul, who was a perpetrator of evil. Jesus knew his heart, and Jesus saw his potential because he knew his heart. Jesus saw past the darkness and the evil that Saul was on his way to commit and redirected him onto a path of honoring the God that he was in the process of mocking. Rick, how often have we used humility in almost every subject that we talk about? It always comes up. And here, not only should it come up, it should be absolutely the centerpiece. Think about the miraculous act of forgiveness that's happening right in these verses. Saul of Tarsus has got an angry mind. He is perpetrating evil. He is hurting people unjustly. He's a murderer. Right. He's unjust, he's unkind, and he's unscriptural. And he's going to do these things Jesus knows that he's better than that. And all Jesus has to do is confront him. Saul realizes the error of his ways and instantly changes his direction. And Jesus instantly forgives him. Wow. Boy, that's good news. <laughs> that, that is good news. Because Saul's heart was right. His actions were just totally, totally wrong. So there's this massiveness of forgiveness here. 
And the forgiveness can't happen without humility. See, if Saul was to fight it, and Jesus appears to him in the vision and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And Saul said, Oh, yeah, prove it. That wouldn't have gone over well. <laughs> no. <laughs> that wouldn't have been the heart that Saul had. So you can see here, he's really, he has this humility. He just needs the right direction. But, Rick, re redirection is never easy when you're no. used to going one way yeah. ugh, it's like how do you do that well let's look at another example that's a good point john twenty one seventeen. he said to him the third time simon son of john do you love me peter was grieved because he said him to him the third time do you love me and he said to him lord you know all things you know that i love you jesus said to him tend my sheep so Simon Peter was in a situation where he had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus was coming back to him after he's raised from the dead, and he comes back to Simon Peter, and he's redirecting him. And he does it three times. Because there's a lot of regrets, there's a lot of bitterness from Peter looking at himself that he's got to get over. And Jesus is assuring him and reassuring him and reaffirming the reassuring of him that I love you and I trust you. That takes great humility to be redirected. Jonathan, why don't we go to the phone? All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Tough subject, brother. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. This is a tough one. Boy, you put me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I recently I heard a sermon by uh, a brilliant uh, minister, and he made the statement that uh, uh, consecration uh, within the uh, Christian circle, we talk about consecration, that he's making a commitment to God for life. And uh, he said that consecration takes one decision. Sanctification, the commitment to carry out uh, you know, that consecration requires a million decisions. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been wrecking my brain. I say, I wonder <laughs> how many of those <laughs> decisions in my life, because I made a consecration to God. I says, I wonder how many of those <laughs> decisions I'm going to re regret. <laughs> so it is a challenge. I love Isaiah 20, I mean, uh, chapter 30, verse 21. Uh, maybe you mentioned it, I'm not sure, but anyway, there uh, it states how uh, nine years, I'm just quoting it, you know, uh, for, you know by uh, memory, uh, nine years shall hear voice behind thee, says, uh, when you walk to the left or when you walk to the right hand, you know, it's, it alludes to this challenge of making the right decision. Beautiful text. God bless. Thank Th you. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Good day. Bye-bye. And, and, and it's interesting, Jonathan, because Julius is right. Humility is a decision. Humility doesn't naturally come to us. It is a decision to, to, to see ourselves for what we truly, truly are and put ourselves uh, into a, a position of being pliable in the hands of that which we want to follow. That is a hard decision to make, and you can't just make it once and you're set. 
you have to make it again and again and again. So, Julius, thanks so much uh, for that call and uh, that input in the Isaiah thirty twenty one scripture. You know, you were talking about, Jonathan, how hard it is for us to redirect. Yes. So, to be humbly redirected is to accept the miraculous grace of forgiveness, just like Saul of Tarsus did. So let's go to a scripture that shows us how we have to accept the way Saul did. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. So there's two things in this, Jonathan. First of all, you read this and think, boy, you know, God is picking from the dregs of the earth. And here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And so it's a naturally humbling text. Yes, it is. Okay, right from the start, because God is saying, or the Apostle is teaching us that that God wants those who will be humble, so they're not going to boast to say, look how great I am. But think about how much forgiveness and grace overflow when you pick from the dregs of the earth. Think about how much grace and forgiveness have to be a part of that process. If we want to be able to manage our regret, we we need to accept and embrace the pain, we need to um, uh, accept the responsibility as well, and now we need to apply faith, trust, and forgiveness. Accept, you know, having embracing the pain and, and 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 accepting the responsibility are really important steps, but they're not an end; they're a beginning. This is where regret can start to turn the corner and become a positive tool if we if we apply faith, trust, and forgiveness, and that's a hard thing. So the third point on applying faith, trust, and forgiveness is faith requires humility so we can be redirected. Without humility, you can't change direction. What's the final point on this? The true test of our faith is the test of trust. All right. Here's the key. Faith is the foundation. Faith accepts forgiveness. Trust is the building. Trust applies forgiveness to our deepest and most mortifying sins and circumstances. Trust is not a topical ointment. Trust is faith deeply applied in a very mature fashion. Jesus showed Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, his need to build a secure trust upon his faith. What did Jesus say? Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So Jesus is foretelling Saul of Tarsus that you're going to become Paul and you're going to get into all kinds of trouble for my sake. With everybody. (laughs) And he's saying you're going to be in life-threatening circumstances that I will take care of you in. Trust me. Trust me. Right. And because he's showing him something in the future, and you can't uh, absorb that without trust. He's saying don't worry when things get really bad because I will be by your side. That's faith applied to the point of trust. Trust is faith deeply applied in a mature fashion with expectation and peace. Peace for the present and expectation for the future. 
King David, we in, in the last program on regret, each of the uh, principles, we went back to Psalm 51 and King David and his regret about his own circumstances. Let's go back to Psalm 51, verses 5 through 9, and see how David displayed faith and trust in his regretful confessions. And I'm going to interrupt you while you read this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold... You des- and now, now here comes the faith, okay? So he's saying, here's what happened, and now here comes his display of faith. You desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So the faith is saying, I've done wrong, I've, I've accepted it, I've assumed responsibility, and now I'm applying faith, and I know you can cleanse me because I'm putting myself in your hands. Now you've got faith, now here comes the trust. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones with which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. So the trust is... Not only that you can clean me, but he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to be able to come up out of this mire of misery and smile from within because you have forgiven me and you have cleaned me and I can trust in you. That's a beautiful thing. And the purpose is to bring praise, honor, and glory to the Heavenly Father, even though we made mistakes. Right. And as a matter of fact, in the second hour... That's really going to be one of the main focuses of what we're going to be looking at, because in the second hour, we're going to take the three principles that we've discussed, add two more, and those next two principles, Jonathan, are going to completely, completely transform your regret. Now, the key is, you can't just say, okay, I'll just apply the last two principles and everything will be fine. No... Principles 1, 2, and 3 have to be in place, otherwise 4 and 5 won't work. Folks, you have to stay with us for the second hour. There's so much more to talk about, and this is all Jesus teaching us how to manage our regret. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we will be back after the news and all of that. But till then, your regrets can leave you alone if you use scriptural principles. We'll be back soon. Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Twenty years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things you did do. And Mark Twain said that, and that's a whole different aspect of regret. Good morning, welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got one of those topics on the table today that applies to everybody. It does, Rick. And our question this morning is, will my regrets ever leave me alone? 
and this is a part two program. Our theme text is found in Acts chapter 22, verse 19. And I said, Lord, they themselves understood that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. So, you know, it's interesting. The way we rephrased that, uh, that initial question, will my regrets ever leave me alone? <laughs> um, I know we're clanking some things over here, Jonathan. What can I tell you? <laughs> um, we rephrased it that way. Regrets unchecked have a mind of their own, but regrets dealed with through biblical principle can be now the mind of Christ. There's a big difference between those two places, and that's what we want to get to, from regrets having a mind of their own and dominating our lives to regrets becoming part of the mind of Christ. That's a huge difference. It is. Huge. So there were three essential principles that we talked about in the fir- in in our last program and in the first hour here, Jonathan. Let's let's reread those first two, and then we're going to wrap up the third one. Accept and embrace the pain of whatever it is that you regret, and assume responsibility for your wrong thoughts or actions. Now those are important steps. A lot of times we do that, and then we stop there because we think, okay, I've assumed responsibility. And now I've got to live with it. But that, the, the way we live with it is where principle number three comes in that we just talked about for a couple of segments last hour. And what is that? Apply faith and then apply trust that we are forgiven and therefore in a position for spiritual growing and not emotional groaning. So I want to wrap up this step, Jonathan, before we get on to the fourth and the fifth principles. This step of applying forgiveness, faith, and trust is perhaps the most difficult step of all because it is in taking of this step that we consciously redirect our regret. And you and I were talking during the last uh, hour about how hard it is to redirect. How yeah, hard yes, it is. It is. To, to change our habit of approach, but that's what's required here. It is here that we take the pain, the consequences, and the backlash of our sin and apply it to living rather than to dying, because regret left to the mind of its own is all about a dying process. Regret refocused is about a living process. It's here that we look our regret in the eye and solemnly proclaim it to be a tool of spiritual life in the hand of God, rather than a destination of spiritual destitution. So, big choice in this third principle of applying faith and trust and forgiveness. Big choice. Let's go back to Catherine Schultz, Don't Regret, Regret. This is soundbite four, uh, making peace with our regret, which is the third step. Soundbite four. Which, as we know, heals all wounds, except for tattoos, which are permanent. Mm-hmm. So it's been several years since I got my own tattoo. and. Um, do you guys just want to see it? <laughs> All right. Actually, you know what? I should warn you. <laughs> You're going to be disappointed because it's actually not that hideous. Right? I didn't tattoo, you know, Marilyn Manson's face on some indiscreet part of myself or something. All right. When other so people see my tattoo... F- okay. So, so she's now going to show the, the, the tattoo to everybody that she's so distraught about. And it's kind of interesting. We're going to get to it in the, in, in the next soundbite, but it really isn't so bad. 
it really isn't so bad at all. But because she's that perfectionist type of person, it just, it just, it just, it, it, it turned her inside out and created this huge amount of regret. And, and that's just a good, a good example of what happens with us. We do something, we may think we're doing something good or we're doing it just because we want to do it, and we do it, and then we look it back and we say, what have I done? And it just doesn't ever go away. And we but all go through it. <laughs> yeah, we do. And some of us go through it a lot more than others, depending on the type of personality you have. That's right. You know, if, if you're the action-first personality, chances are you have a lot more to regret. Because you forgot and- to think. <laughs> I understand completely. Yeah, okay. All right, so now let's get on to the fourth principle. We just talked about applying faith and trust and forgiveness. What's the fourth refocusing regret principle? Rick, it's adapt. Choose to walk the spiritual path of sacrifice that your wrong actions can now inspire you towards and not the human path of least resistance. Okay, adapt. You've got to adapt your life to having applied faith, trust, and forgiveness. Now that we've applied forgiveness, faith, and trust, we cannot simply sit still in the vacuum of that application like, okay, I've been forgiven, and I'm going to sit here and do nothing with it because I've been forgiven, and I'm so happy to have been forgiven that forgiveness is the end result. Forgiveness is not an end result. It's always a beginning, and that's something that we miss. We have to live the proof of our forgiveness. We now have to walk the walk, talk the talk, and live the life of a true, faithful follower. Jesus, in Acts 26, where the, the Apostle Paul is describing his experience to King Agrippa, Jesus continues to show Paul what life will now be all about. Let's go to Acts 26, Jonathan, let's go to verse 18. To open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. All right. Now, there's a few words there, but there's an awful lot in those few words. Jesus is saying, show others what I am now showing you. And, you know, when it says to adapt, when it says the fourth principle being to adapt, after you've, you've um, applied faith and trust and forgiveness, to adapt is to take what you have applied and make it go to work. So adapting, just like remember faith was stand up. Yes. Adapt is do something. <laughs> okay, standing up is great. Standing up is a start. But adapting is now saying, now that you have a new source of strength, a new source of, of direction, do something. It's moving towards a, a, a new direction and it, it, it takes a lot of effort. So let's take what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, and let's break it down line by line, because what Jesus' words, Jonathan, and this is not surprising, but I, 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 lo- I love to comment on this. Jesus' words are so profound, and they are so filled with direction, that sometimes you have to take them little phrases at a time to really try to get what he's saying. So... Let's break this down. Look at the description that Jesus gives Paul on this path that he's about to walk. So take the first phrase. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Now, there's a profound amount of truth in that. Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, 
had just been blinded, and when you're blinded, it's dark. Oh, yeah. He was blinded by light, and he's going to be brought back to light through his blindness. Because he was in the dark, that's when he was able to see light for the first time. Because the light that he was seeing before was not the light of God through Jesus. It was the light of Satan. Because remember the scripture says, Satan appears... As an angel of light. Right. So Saul of Tarsus was following the wrong light source. And and this principle that it's giving us is really a mission that we're given, isn't it? Yes. It is. And, you know, and that's a really important part of this, is that everything that Saul of Tarsus, who is about to become the Apostle Paul, everything he's learning really does apply to us. His mission was to open their eyes, the eyes of, of the unbelievers, that they may turn from darkness to light, to give them a sense of there's something bigger and better in life, to give them hope, to give them what Jesus was, to say, look, the world is not going to end in this wallowing mess of garbage that we're living in. So it's our mission as well. So his mission was to aid others who had been living in the blindness of sin, just like he had, so that they also might see now as he did. So Jesus isn't simply saying, yeah, here's what I want you to do. He's saying, I want you to do this and you know exactly what I'm talking about because you had to go through it. So you see how Saul of Tarsus, his heart was so good, but his actions were so bad, he was the perfect candidate for this. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that's encouraging. It is, it is. Because if God and Christ could take someone who was doing such bad things and have them do such awesome things, then certainly he can turn us around from where we are. If you have a thought on regret, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or, don't forget, you can message us on your app. Okay, so the first phrase that you just reread, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. What's the next phrase? And from the dominion of Satan to God. So, Jesus is explaining to him Paul's mission was also to show the way to the dominion of God from the dominion of Satan. Who better to do this than one who had done such wrong, who had fallen into Satan's hands, and who was now, uh, now would have so much to regret. And because he had so much to regret, he would have so much to live for. And again, Jonathan, that's one of the things that we miss with our regrets. We look at them and we allow them to, 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 to manipulate and, and overrun our lives, and instead of seeing them as reasons for so much to live for because forgiveness is there, we see them as reasons that life is meaningless. Yeah, they paralyze us. Right, right. And when we get paralyzed in our regrets, we lose. That's right. So, Saul, Paul of Tarsus, was being instructed to take people from the dominion of Satan, bring them to the dominion of God. I mean, what a powerful direction change. Both dominions had light. One was true light, the other was false. What else? What what happens as a result of that? That they may receive forgiveness of sins. 
Forgiveness is built on faith and trust. And I don't know how many more times we can say that. (laughs) Okay? Paul was being heartily forgiven. And he would stand on the power of that forgiveness for the rest of his life. Who better to walk others toward the miracle of forgiveness than the one whose sins were so spiritually dark and utterly regretful than Saul of Tarsus becoming the Apostle Paul? So Jesus, in his incredible wisdom, is helping Saul, Paul of Tarsus, to use his regret as a tool. He's teaching him all the ways that his darkness can create light for others. And that humility in teaching others, he would look at others not as less than himself. Right. He would look at them as, hey, if the Lord's calling them, they've got to be better than me. <laughs> right. And he always said, you know, I'm, I'm least of the apostles. Right. Because of his previous experiences. So exactly right. He took it and the regret became a tool. And what's the last phrase on this? An inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Okay. Paul was one of those sanctified by faith. His faith, trust, and forgiveness would throughout his life absorb... They would absorb the deadly poisons of his regret and turn that regret into constructive energy for Christ. Paul's path would now be fully adapted to doing only the will of God and not using the name of God to do his own will. And there is a big difference between doing the will of God and using the name of God to do your own will. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 2. Coming up, let's be practical. Adapting to a new path is not easy. How do you do it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 2. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and interact with us on Facebook, and you can tweet us at CQNet Radio, and we're also on Instagram. And in just a few weeks, Jonathan, Christian Questions will begin podcasting. We'll be again a live podcast. Uh, it looks like it's probably going to be Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, so uh, something to look forward to. In, in a few weeks, we'll keep you updated on that. Okay, so, Jonathan, we've been talking about this refocusing regret principle four of adapting, you know, choosing to walk a spiritual path of sacrifice that your wrong actions can inspire you towards and so forth. So that's what we've been talking about. Let's go back to King David now, because King David was another biblical character who had immense things to regret, and he also learned to use those things as tools of growth rather than destinations of self-pity and and destruction. He adapted his will and his way towards God. His regret was strong, but rather than it feeding upon him, it was made to feed his godly devotion. Let's go back to 
Psalm 51, verses 10 to 13. And Jonathan, during the break, we were talking about how David is showing you an increasing level of strength through Psalm 51. That's right. And in the last section that we read, remember, he said, oh, you know, make me clean and so that I can have joy again, so that I can feel happiness again. Now listen to the next level that he goes to in verses 10 to 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit, that I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. So now David's uh, adapting his own life back to God. And it's interesting because the difference between Saul and David was obviously the, the kinds of things they did. But David was godly beforehand and fell off the track. Right. Saul was just on a dark pathway and needed to be put on the track. So David, in coming back, is showing this ever-increasing strength, and he's adapting himself, and he's saying, sustain me with a willing spirit. Now, don't just give me a, a sense of joy now. Sustain me. And he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. So you see how far this is going. He's adapting himself to say, I'm back, I'm back in the fold, I'm I'm going in the right direction, and the things that I did now push me forward, and they don't pull me backwards. So, Jonathan, it's it's an amazing thing what can happen to regret if we start to apply these principles and and we put it where it belongs. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866 985 for all. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, just reread our Refocusing Regret Principle 4 one more time. Adapt. Choose to walk the spiritual path of sacrifice that your wrong actions can inspire you towards and not the human path of least resistance. So, the Apostle Paul, who previously was Saul of Tarsus, and David, showed us the power of refocused regrets, but it did not come easily or naturally to either of them. They had to carefully build a determination on the faith and forgiveness of God, and then adapt themselves to a new path. Our path, our example of sin, regret, forgiveness, action, can inspire others as well. The question is, are we willing to walk the same path that they had to walk to put regret in a place where it can actually push us forward instead of pull us backwards? And Rick, um, in their examples, they're, they're witnessing to others so that those others can take courage based on where they came from and their mistakes. Right. Uh, so that gives us hope that even with our own personal mistakes, we can do the same thing. We can follow their example. You know, and in, in the Christian world, a lot of this, uh, we, you know, we look at in terms of personal testimony. You know, a lot of people take their personal testimony as a Christian, and, and, it, and, and it's something that can help others. That's what this is. But here's the difference between just relaying an experience and using an experience to help others to overcome the kinds of, same kinds of things. The difference here 
is there is such a deep and dramatic transformation that for most of us takes a little bit of time. Uh, it requires uh, being accountable. It, you know, again, accepting the um, the pain of the the experience, assuming responsibility, adapting ourselves um, to the to to a, a new path. You know, uh, and, and making the adjustments to have faith and trust and forgiveness in there. It requires all of those things, and that testimony. If you are now living it, others can be attracted to it. Yes. Because they say, oh, they did that kind of thing, and look at them now. I want, when I grow up, I want to be like that. <laughs> that's really, that's where we want to get to. Absolutely. And, and folks, it can happen according to biblical principle. Jesus teaches us how. Okay, so Jonathan, let's go back to Catherine Schultz, Don't Regret, Regret TED Talk, uh, as she, and she's now talking about her her infamous tattoo now. For the most part, they like how it looks. It's just that I don't like how it looks. And as I said earlier, I'm a perfectionist. But I'll let you see it anyway. This is my tattoo. I can guess what some of you are thinking, so let me reassure you about something. Some of your own regrets are also not as ugly as you think they are. But it turns out it doesn't. Okay, so there's a powerful thing, and you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get a, a shot of her tattoo for Sikiru on the full edition, you know, from the TED Talk. Because I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to subscribe to Sikiru on the full edition. But it's certainly not so bad. It, you look at it and say, she's that upset about this? But the point is, she's that upset, and her point was so powerful. I just want to let you know, some of your regrets aren't as bad as you think they are either. I like that. And that may well be true. And if that's the case, then we need to really apply these principles that we've been talking about. So now, Jonathan, let's get to the last principle in this whole thing. How do you put regret in place? Refocusing regret principle number five is what? (laughs) It's strong, Rick. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Attack. Okay. Attack the future, not the past, with the lessons learned and with forgiveness, faith and trust applied. Attack, you're right, it's strong. It sounds like such a harsh word. It does. And, 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 you know, we don't often talk to people about, oh, attack. No, we don't. (laughs) Okay, but, because, you know, because attack often describes very harsh actions. We often attack our past with our regret, and the result of that attack is to ravage the present and ruin the future. So true. Having the previous four principles in place for refocusing our regret, and they are accept the pain, assume responsibility, apply forgiveness, faith, and trust, and adapt to a spiritual path. Those four things take all of the need to attack the past away. They do. You know that? Because now the regret... Is, is pliable. It can be shaped and molded to something good. For the past is now a valuable tool put in place to attack and alter the present and therefore unveil the future. And when we say attack the present, we don't mean destroy it. We mean attack the sinfulness of the present to make it God glorious. And, and the quote from Mark Twain um, reminds me of don't regret the things you don't do. I mean, here it's saying Serve the Lord. Even if you stumble, make mistakes, go for it. Give him all the praise, honor, and glory. Don't slow down. Don't stop. Move. Go. Do it. 
Anyway. You know, and that, that's, a, that's such an important thing because most of our time has been spent, you know, focusing on the things that we regret that we have done. Exactly. There are so many times that we regret not having taken action, not having taken an opportunity, not having taken responsibility, not having put ourselves in a position to stretch out like you're saying. And if we, now here's, here's the beautiful thing about this. If we apply these five principles, to the things that we do regret in our past, they automatically, if we allow them to, they will automatically help us look at our present through different eyes than we would have. Good point. Because now we're going to see the present and say, oh, wait a minute, there's opportunity here. And because we understand faith and forgiveness and, and, and accepting responsibility and adaptation and all those things. So, you know, while attack is a harsh word, it really fits well to take responsibilities, to take opportunities, good opportunities. We're talking spiritual opportunities. We're not talking about, oh, they said that I can do whatever I want with a vengeance now. No. <laughs> he said well, you can do whatever Jesus wants you to do with a vengeance. <laughs> and you know what? The Apostle Paul did exactly that. Going back to Acts chapter 16, verses 19 through 23, Remember, he is before King Agrippa, and I don't know if you remember, at the very beginning of the first program on regrets, we quoted this first verse. Now we're coming back to it as we begin the process of wrapping up understanding regret. So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all of the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to, repent, to repentance. So I love how he is, is, is wrapping up his dissertation to King Agrippa, saying, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. And basically what he was saying is, before the heavenly vision, the only thing I was obeying was the darkness of my own actions was the context in which I was living. But when this vision came, I, I was not disobedient to it. I, I saw it, I recognized it, and then I followed it. It, so, it reminds me, Rick, of uh, should, should repent and turn to God uh, and perform deeds appropriate to repentance. I was thinking John the Baptist had a very similar message. Repent and turn to God. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and John the Baptist was to the Jewish nation to prepare them for Jesus. And the Apostle Paul was to the Gentile nations, same thing. They weren't returning to God, though. The Gentile nations were repenting and turning, not returning That's right. to God. That's right. And, and so you're right, a very similar thing with a very similar level of commitment. And when the Apostle says, I was not disobedient to the vision, it's not like he sort of half-heartedly sauntered on down the street and said, you know, in a quiet little voice, Oh, Jesus is Lord. Oh, just you got to look at this. He was powerful. He was strong, and he was willing to take abuse for what he believed in. He did not prove disobedient to the vision. Paul's previous life as Saul the persecutor was indeed a driving force of his ministry. And there's the key. That's regret in a positive way. His message was the message of Christ spoken with the conviction of one whose own life had been mercifully, mercifully ripped from the jaws of Satan's lies and brought to the privilege of salvation. 
And Jonathan, we understand that salvation comes in stages. Yes. And the entire world doesn't understand and see salvation now, but they'll have their opportunity in the resurrection and the day of judgment, the day of accountability. So when we talk about the privilege of salvation, when you see it here now in this age where Satan is still the ruler of this world, you have to see it as the enormous privilege that it is. And if it's such an enormous privilege that you're being beckoned towards, you don't have time to wallow in your regrets. No, you don't. The Apostle Paul didn't have time. Jesus showed him how not to, and we need to mimic what the Apostle Paul did. And you know that verse that that Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ? Mm -hmm. That has so much of a fuller meaning now when you realize what it took for him to follow Christ. Absolutely. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Let us know what you think about regret, experiences, comments, whatever. Let's go back to Acts 26. Uh, we, we stopped reading at verse 20. Let's read verses 21 to 23. Again, Paul before King Agrippa, describing his experience. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. So, you know, something that just jumped out at me um, here, that I, I just, it, it, it just dawned on me as you were reading this, uh, how how transformative the experience was for the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, so I was testifying to both small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. So he's saying, I went from adding on to the law and bending things to do what I wanted to do to stating nothing but pure scriptural principle. And this is how he said, I was not disobedient to the vision. He focused on saying what the scriptures and Jesus told him, period. He didn't add to it. He didn't subtract from it. Paul would brush against death many times now throughout his ministry, yet he never flinched in his mission to proclaim the gospel or his devotion to the will of God. Jesus, not regrets. Jesus was now his Lord. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 2. Coming up, so what does the final picture of regret refocused look like that's next you're listening to christian questions you're listening to christian questions see videos hear past shows and talk to us at christianquestions.com here's rick and jonathan Welcome back. Our subject for today is Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 2. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, this subject of regret, we're into our final segment. And this is such an amazingly powerful, powerful lesson. And we look at personal examples 
in Scripture of those who were able to take their regrets for really bad things and make them tools of positive growth and spirituality. It's, uh, to me, this is utterly inspiring. It really is. And, and, and you see that it's written for our benefit. I mean, that's why it's written. Folks, it's written so we can learn from it. What are you waiting for? I mean, think about this. The Apostle Paul, his regret now served as a powerful reminder of the angry life that he had led and the dark choices he had made. His regret reminded him how that previous life was instantly transformed by grace and forgiveness to a life of loving humility, joyful service, and willing sacrifice. His regret now fueled his unrelenting attack on the darkness of sin with the light of the gospel. What a transformation. Amazing. What a transformation. And the transformation was complete because he learned how to manage his regret and he actually put in action what he learned. There's a novel idea. Put in action what you learn. And David uh, also learned that same lesson, didn't he? Yes, he did. David also learned to dwell in the light of God and use his regretful past for God's glory. Let's go to Psalm 51, verses 14 to 15. Deliver me from... 17, I'm sorry. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you did not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. So, but, so, so pause right there for a second, because David has come to such a point that he is further along, I think, in terms of following after God's will than he was before his sins. That makes sense. Yeah, he's realizing that God just doesn't want lip service and, and, and rote actions in terms of honoring him. Like ceremony. Right, exactly. That's not what God's looking for. What is God looking, God looking for? Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. So God is looking for our transformation within our hearts to be godly rather than sinful. So a broken spirit that God can rebuild. Exactly. So if we wallow in our regrets, we can't fulfill that verse. Folks, it is a choice. And there are five clear steps to make that choice work. So it's this broken and contrite heart that reflects our being forgiven. And like you said, that, that gives something God to build upon. And that gives us the ability to refocus our regret. It doesn't say we're to have a depressed heart, but a contrite heart that now has broken open to make room for joyful singing of God's righteousness and praise. And Jonathan, I just want, want, to, want to touch on that point just real quickly here again. It doesn't say we're to have a depressed heart. Sometimes we feel like that's the penance we have to pay for, for the mistakes we have made. you got to be depressed about it. If we bring our sins before God, and we are accountable for our sins, and we do the things necessary to make right our sins as best as we are able, and we accept forgiveness, God doesn't want us to be depressed. It's like beating yourself up over and over and over again, that depression. Right, right. And it serves no good. As a matter of fact, you know what that is? That's following light, but it's the wrong light. False light. 
Right. It's following the light of Satan, who poses as an angel of light. So that's that. Don't go down that path. It just doesn't work. Let's go back to Catherine Schultz. Don't regret regret TED Talk because she now is going to kind of sum up her regrets lesson. Remind me of the thing I thought it would. It reminds me constantly of something else instead. It actually reminds me of the most important lesson regret can teach us, which is also one of the most important lessons life teaches us. And ironically, I think it's probably the single most important thing I possibly could have tattooed onto my body, partly as a writer, but also just as a human being. Here's the thing. If we have goals and dreams and we want to do our best, and if we love people and we don't want to hurt them or lose them, we should feel pain when things go wrong. The point isn't to live without any regrets. The point is to not hate ourselves for having them. The lesson that I ultimately learned from my tattoo and that I want to leave you with today is this. We need to learn to love the flawed, imperfect things that we create and to forgive ourselves for creating them. Regret doesn't remind us that we did badly. It reminds us that we know we can do better. Thank you. Thank you. What a, what a great way to sum up her experience. And when you put her experience as a backdrop for the powerful scriptural lessons that Jesus taught the Apostle Paul, Jonathan, you have a winning combination for making regret something that is not only manageable, but ends up being an enormously valuable tool for righteousness in our lives. So, finally... As the Apostle sums up his life, his regret is still obvious, and its power is now godly. Now, we're going to go to a different verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 to 10. This is the Apostle kind of summing up who he is, as he does so often to, to the Christian uh, church at large. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the Apostles, and not fit to be called an Apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. So he says a lot of things in those few verses. As one, kind of as one untimely born, he wasn't following Jesus, he wasn't called originally. And he, he, he's, he's recognizing that. But he's saying, but Jesus did appear to me. And he says, I am the least of the apostles of the apostles. He says, I'm not even fit to be called an apostle by definition of who I was. He says, because I persecuted the church of God. He says, so, you know, I don't deserve what I've got, but God has, by his grace and through Jesus, given me something powerful. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not because I'm so good. And, you know, you said it before, he's the perfect example of having done wrong and turning to do right. And so it kept him humble because he was given such insight, such power of the Spirit, and such, uh, such a, a magnificent opportunity. This was something to keep him humble in all of this. So, and Rick, uh, this is really showing true confidence in God. Yeah. Totally putting it in his hands, and, and he's trusting in that. Uh, right. That's amazing. Because he has no track record to trust him. 
So he has to, and that's the best way to manage our regrets is true, full, complete trust in God. So the experiences of persecuting, pressuring, and punishing the followers of Christ always stayed with the Apostle Paul. No matter what he did, no matter where he went, those experiences still followed him. That means he regretted them. That means that they, they were part of his life. They were part of his fabric. Approving of the deaths of many saints stayed with him. And Jonathan, that's serious stuff. That is. You know, that's not the kind of thing you just can take, uh, take lightly. Consenting to the death of Stephen, and we all know that dramatic story, because he's named in the accounts as one holding the garments of those who were going to stone him. And the one who holds the garments is essentially saying, kill the man, I'll take care of your stuff while you're committing the murder in this case. Mm. He's the one uh, giving authority. He's the one saying, yes, go ahead, do it, I'll watch out for you. That stayed with him. Paul's past was dark with dishonor and evil. And he had a mountain of regret that he carried for the rest of his life which Satan could have used to torment him. But he didn't. He tried, but he couldn't get through the armor of God's grace and forgiveness. Folks, it's a choice. It is absolutely a choice as to what we do with our regret. So, again, refocus regret principle five is what? Attack the future, not the past, with the lessons learned, and with forgiveness, faith, and trust applied. Attack, just like the Apostle Paul. Attack with all of the godliness and righteousness that you can find in Scripture, and go use it for good. So, let, let, let's, let's, let's sum this up, then we're going to go to one, one last Scripture. Paul accepted his actions. That's the first step. He assumed their responsibility. That was the second step. Paul was forgiven and applied it. That's the third step. Paul was faithful and applied it. That's still the third step. Paul had trust and applied it. That's still the third step. That's the hard step because it's got three pieces to it. Paul, through Christ, had learned to hold on to his regret tightly. For instead of it being a destination of destruction, Jesus had shown Paul how to adapt. That's the fourth step his regret into a tool of salvation. Paul then wielded that tool for the glory of God and to the honor of Christ as he attacked the fifth step, the darkness of Satan with the light of the gospel. Jonathan, you've been saying it all along. We, too, have an opportunity just like this. All we need to do is apply the same five principles by grace to our regrets the way the Apostle Paul did to his. And Rick, what I learned from um, from this subject is don't crumble under your regret. Use it to bring praise, honor, and glory to God through Jesus. And a great scripture to go with that is Isaiah forty twenty eight to 31. I love this verse, Jonathan. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, the vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. 
They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. And I submit to you that in our regrets, in our experiences, in our life, as we are, are, are walking through the things that happen to us, we have to learn to wait on the Lord. But, you know, waiting on the Lord sometimes is just not a simple process. It's not like you sit in your rocking chair and you rock and say, okay, I'll wait. I know the Lord's going to come to me, and I'm just going to wait right here. Waiting on the Lord means that you're putting other things aside and putting godly principles and scriptural principles in front of you, and you're looking for guidance. And Ricky's promised to give us strength to get through things. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is that power and influence to, to get beyond ourselves. And he helps us that way. To get beyond ourselves. That's exactly right. To get beyond ourselves. Our regrets want to keep us inside of ourselves. In that introspective, self-pity way of living. And that just does nothing to praise and honor God. And you know what? Bottom line here, it's all about praising God. It's all about honoring Him. It's all about following Christ footstep by footstep by footstep. And the way we do that is to follow those who went before us. And the Apostle Paul shows us, here's how you manage your regrets. Folks, you have regrets. I have regrets. How long until we use them to honor God? It is a choice. Do not allow yourself to wallow in self-pity. Allow yourself to win the victory of managing regret by Scripture. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We will be back again next week with another subject. But till then, your regrets can leave you alone. Follow Scripture, pray, and let God guide you through Christ. Till next week, think about it.